When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 19, and we're recording on February 9th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Today's theme is books that are very long and very good. <laughs> That's a pretty good theme. Was this one from an insider? I can't remember if it was in an email or if it was an insider who requested it, but it was a listener request. So, Well, whoever said it, whoever recommended it, very good choice. I actually had to think about this one, but I was surprised that I actually read a few very long, very good books. Oh, yeah. I guess we should say our criteria for very long was oh, yeah. over 500 pages. Yes. So everybody's long is different, but that was our baseline. So, which I actually found frustrating because there are a few books that I consider long that when I went and looked, they were like around 400. Yes. Like, Dag <laughs> I had the exact same experience. I was like, I know that book was way longer than that. But yeah, it's funny how some books just feel bigger than they actually were. Yeah, but. I think once you get up into the high 400s, you you definitely start to feel it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, we, we went with 500 and up, so yeah. we will have more on that later. Um, oh, before we jump into anything, mm-hmm. I wanted to give y'all an update on the Octavia Butler opera. Yay! Um, I checked in with Zach, our insider who went to see it, and he called it a wave of emotion (laughs) and said that it started off very rock concert, which is like a cool, I guess that's like modern opera can be a rock concert. I don't know. Um, And that it was possibly hard to follow if you haven't read the book. He also thought there would be a good chance that it'll get future production. So if you missed it, we might get it again in the future. So fingers crossed for that. I would really like to see it. Me too. I hope that if there is another production that it comes to Portland. Yeah. Please, people. Or maybe they'll license it so that, you know, other people can do things. Oh, yeah. I don't actually know how licensing works in the theater and musical theater world. I have no idea. I know. We're the lawyers in the house. The, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. So before we get started with our news, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor. And this is me ranting and raving about... The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert again. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show again. Um, So this story is about 17-year-old Alice and her mother who have spent most of Alice's life on the road, always a step ahead of the bad luck, biting at their heels. But when Alice's grandmother, the reclusive author of a book of pitch-dark fairy tales, dies on her estate, The Hazelwood, Alice learns how bad her luck can really get. And this is a fantastic book. This is a, the debut novel from Melissa Albert, who runs the BNN Teen blog. And she's just an, an amazing writer. I could not love this book more than I did. If you like really dark fairy tales, but you also like a contemporary fantasy story, this is definitely a book you should pick up. Uh, it's very creepy, which is totally up my alley. And if it's yours... <laughs> 
I was totally creeped out by some of the scenes in here. I was like, am I going to be able to go to sleep tonight? But in a really good way. Um, so yeah, if that sounds like your jam, you should pick up The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show again. So what do you want to talk about first? It's so difficult. Uh, let's talk about Firefly getting books because this is fairly recent news. Um. So basically, Joss Whedon's Firefly is coming back, but it's coming back as a series of novels. And these are within the canon. Um, and I never watched the TV show, to be honest, but I really loved Serenity, uh, the film. So when I saw this, I was I don't really read a lot of novelizations, but basically what's happening is that Titan Books is releasing three new novels. Um, and the first novel is coming out in October and Joss Whedon will be involved as a consulting editor. So uh, the three books that are coming out so far that have been announced are Firefly, Big Damn Hero. Can I say that? <laughs> it's a title <laughs> name. Uh, <laughs> and then there's uh, The Magnificent Nine and Firefly Generations. And these books are all written. I like looked up these authors who are writing these books and they all seem like fantasy veterans. And one of them has written a lot of uh, novelizations of films so they're obviously you know veterans to this game I'm wondering how how excited fans will be because there is definitely a big cult following around Firefly and it only seems to at least from where I stand it only seems to have grown over the years and I think people have always sort of wished that it could have the series could have gone on a little longer or a lot longer. So I'm wondering what will be the interest with these books. And I'm sure some of it is encouraging in that uh, Joss Whedon is on board. He's actually going to be overseeing it somewhat. So um, yeah, I'm curious about how it's going to do. Yeah, I may own the TV show and the movie. Oh. Just maybe I might I might own them. Um, <laughs> although as I have like as I have aged, the show it, its problems have become more glaring mm. to me, which is hard because I I did fall for it really hard when I first saw it, but now with a little more time and um knowledge under my belt there's a few things that I'm just like ooh. every time I'm like oh why oh, no. um well you know it there's some misogyny in you know the treatment of Inara's character and in a world where everybody speaks Chinese you should really have Asian characters oh my it. so you know it's just like there are things there are problems um but you know problematic faves we all have them I am super curious about the books I don't know these authors yeah. Christopher Golden is the only one I've heard of before uh the other two are Nancy Holder and Tim Laban and I'm very curious I might actually try to read something by them before these come out just because I don't know. I, I'm curious to see who who who's going to get their writing hands on these stories. Um, I'm also a little disillusioned with Joss Whedon, so mm -hmm. you know. But it is his property, so I guess it makes sense that he's a consulting editor. I don't know. I I'm excited for the world to continue, but I'm I what I want is for them to remedy some of the problems with the original material, and I don't know that I have a lot of faith that that will happen. So I have very mixed feelings about this. I want to be excited. I definitely will be picking them up, but I'm a little nervous 
that it might double down on the original problems with the world building instead of, you know, expanding it and taking it to new places. So, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, it it is hard to tell because these authors are, I mean, they they're strangers to me as well and I don't know like if there was something around them like some news or something that said that, you know, they wrote really diverse books or that they were familiar with, you know, creating fantasy series that were inclusive and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be easier to put some faith into what these future books are going to hold. But like Tim Lebanon, he's written a lot of film novelizations. Like, what does that really mean to me? Like, sure, he's familiar with writing this sort of book, but in terms of remedying some of the problems in the Firefly universe probably not going to happen, I'm assuming. Right. right. Yeah. You just don't know. I Did I say Christopher Golden earlier? I meant James Lovegrove. I oh, get okay. that mixed up in my head. Remember. But anyway, yeah, that, we don't know much about the authors right now. I, so I'm going to I'm gonna do some author research personally mm-hmm. before these come out so that I can have sort of a, hopefully a sense of what to expect, at least in terms of the writing. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see what goes from there. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about I want to talk about the 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 fact that the Sword in the Stone live action adaptation has a director because I just think <laughs> this is one of the strangest director choices I've come across in a while. So if you are of a certain age, like I am, in your th- mid-30s, you probably grew up with the Sword in the Stone Disney's cartoon version, which I am just a huge... I watched it a billion yes. times when I was a kid. Oh, man. And I have watched it as an adult. Not not ashamed. <laughs> um, so, so Disney is working on a live-action retelling, and they said it would be darker... And then they have hired Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who was the director of 28 Weeks Later, to, to like, be in charge of it. Um, so that's interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. if you had asked me to name a director that Disney would tap for a King Arthur live-action movie, it would not have been the 28 Weeks Later director. Like, it just, it just would never have occurred to me to pick him. Um, and I think it's super interesting. Like, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for new gritty King Arthur movies. I just didn't expect to get them from Disney. <laughs> it's just... I just don't even know what to think about this. Do you know what I'm saying? I totally get what you're saying. I think that I wouldn't be surprised just because of all the grimdark stuff that's coming out. But that it oh, is Disney. Fair. That it is Disney is the strange part. Like from other uh, from other places, I could see that. But I'm like, am I gonna? This sounds like it could be like really terrifying if it's this guy. Like 28 weeks later was pretty scary. Um, (laughs) And on top of that, the script is by Brian Cogman, who is a writer producer for Game of Thrones. So like you're just really doubling down on the grimdark. And it's it's extra funny to me because the original source material is T.H. White's The Once and Future King, which I've also read multiple times. Mm -hmm. And the Disney cartoon is is I mean, they've made some changes, but in terms of sort of general tone, it's not that far off. Like the original source material is definitely more on the lighthearted and sort of, you know, gauzy uh, high fantasy 
end of things. So, but but we live in grimdark times, and there's a lot <laughs> of grimdark media out there, and apparently this is the next installment. So I just I just think the whole thing is fascinating. It is. I'm wondering if it's going to be like Disney is going to get the script and it's going to see what they're doing and be like, you know what, you we need to like take it back a little, low, tone it down just a tad. Like maybe they don't really know what they're getting into. So it's going to be interesting like how those dynamics end up working out and what we actually get as a result of these two very different entities coming together. And and now all I can think of is like, what if we got like a Madame Mim that was, you know, I don't know. Oh my goodness, I love Madame like Bellatri- Bellatrix Lestrange esque from yes. Harry Potter. Like, is that is that what Madame Mim is going to be? Will they even keep Madame Mim? She's not in the Once in Future King. I don't know. I have so many questions. I'm so curious. They had better keep Madame Mim because she <laughs> keeps that movie alive. <laughs> She's the best. She's so awesome. We'll see. I am actually looking forward to watching this. I I do love, I haven't read T.H. White's books and I really should. Uh, It's one of those things that's perpetually on the list. But I love all things Merlin. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of looking forward to it, even though it might be very strange. It'll be. There's a separate Merlin book too. If I'm recalling Ooh. correctly by T.H. White. I think you could just read that one. I'm going to go right to my Libby app after this. <laughs> They're not sponsoring the show, by the way. <laughs> just use them. <laughs> okay. Um, goodness. Where do I even go next? Should we just get into like there's so much Star Wars news right now. It's Yeah. <laughs> I put in like three different stories and I was like, why did I do this to myself? But okay, so the main thing, um, I was going to say it feels like there's a lot of Star Wars news, but I guess there's always a lot of Star Wars news. (laughs) And (laughs) Lucasfilm has announced yet another new batch of Star Wars films uh, to be written and produced by Game of Thrones creators David Benioff and T.B. Weiss. And... Of course, the Skywalker saga is ending in 2019, and this is different than, this isn't um, director Rian Johnson's, this is not attached to his project with his all-new Star Wars trilogy, plus this other unrelated series of films. There's just so much going on. There are so many expansions of this universe happening right now. So that was really interesting, and there is not a lot of information about this new series yet, and I it just says that, you know, once Game of Thrones wraps up this final season, they're going to get started on this new series of Star Wars movies, and it didn't say it's a trilogy or anything, so we don't even know how many movies are going to be involved. Um, so... I <laughs> I am admittedly feeling a little bit of the fatigue similar to the Harry Potter fatigue where I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even keep up with all of the things they're doing. And I know this is like a huge expansive universe so they have a lot of places they can take the story and a lot of characters they can play with. And we just got the new trailer for Solo, a Star Wars story right after the Super Bowl. Um, and that was the one, if you don't recall, that was fraught with its director changes after Kathleen Kennedy fired Christopher Miller and Phil Lord because of creative visions that were differing. And now it's directed by Ron Howard. So there's that movie as well. Are you as overwhelmed as I am or are you really <laughs> excited about all of these movies? 
No, I'm definitely on the overwhelmed side, especially with the Game of Thrones guys coming on board. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, it's, I don't, I'm not feeling that. I, they, I, yeah, I, I kind of lose my words about this one just because, uh, sure, we know they can tell a good story, but like, do, do we need them to tell another story? Like, give me, give me some variety. Um, and there's a piece that will drop in the uh, show notes about um, the number, like 96% mm-hmm. of the Star Wars universe films were written and directed by white men and like like could could we could we do something different i i really there's a lot of great points in this variety piece yeah. um that are that are just it's just nice to see somebody articulate them but i and and i will confess regarding the solo the han solo movie if it if donald glover was not in it as Lando Calrissian I might not even be considering watching it and the only reason I am considering watching it is because Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian like (laughs) what but I don't I don't know the guy playing Han Solo which is maybe the point um but I just and and honestly his backstory is something I would read about, but I'm not sure I needed a movie. Uh, and, but I I get that there are fans out there who want it I, I, certainly. Um, and I am curious to see on screen. Like I always love Chewbacca. Chewbacca is another yeah. favorite. So it would be fun to get see those characters get more screen time. But I when I watched the trailer, I was just kind of like it, it left me feeling very meh. Like I I don't know somehow I'm missing the excitement for that that I know others have and I can't quite put my finger on if it's just fatigue or if this story is just not for me or what it is. I don't know. I do not know. (laughs) But I will say that I... I will go see the final Skywalker movie in the theater. I'm really glad I went to see Last Jedi in the theater, but I might I might wait on on Solo and any others. I might wait and not go to the theater. Yeah, I'm the same. I don't feel any sort of urgency to go see these right away and I mean, in my mind, when I saw that solo trailer, it just looked like they really wanted to experiment and do something that looked very different stylistically from the other Uh films. And I'm like, I'm the same way. Like, I love Chewbacca and, you know, Donald Glover is probably going to be really amazing. But I, I think I probably have to have more interest in Han Solo you really infest and i just don't have it so there was like a tentacle monster in the trailer and for some reason that of all things i was like ugh, not again like <laughs> not that not that there's even been a tentacle monster in star wars but it just felt very i don't know i don't know i'm so i'm full of meh is is all i have to say about that and i apologize for not having anything articulate to say about it I know. Well, if anybody out there who's listening has differing opinions or you're really excited about it, feel free to let us know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, tell me tell me your really tell me curious. your positive feels. Yeah. <laughs> Where's <Yeah. laughs> <Where's> that? <laughs> yeah. But what can you do? Like I'm sure there are gonna be people who watch this, obviously. There are gonna be a lot of people who are excited about it, so you know, yeah. I'm probably going to see it ev- all eventually. It feels like you oh, can't sure. not see these movies. Like, they mm-hmm. appear, they they transform or 
or come into your vision whether you like it or not. Um, I mean, I really disliked Rogue One and I saw it twice. Like, don't I, I don't even know how it <laughs> happened, but I did. Like, it's just like that movie made me so angry a couple of times and yet somehow I watched it twice. It's the like, s- just, they're, they're, they're inescapable. <laughs> it's the Star Wars paradox. It's a strange thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's enough Star Wars for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about... You want to talk about this World Builder Scholarship? This is nice. Oh, yeah, this was nice. Yeah. So George R.R. R. Martin, while he's busy not giving us the next installment in Game of Thrones, has done something <laughs> really excellent. He has created a World Builder Scholarship for budding sci-fi and fantasy writers, and the scholarship will pay for tuition fees and lodging for the six-week intensive uh, Clarion West Writers Workshop, which I happen to know of a bunch of authors who I really love who came out of Clarion, and so this is very exciting for a lot of aspiring writers. Um, It's open to applicants worldwide, and the winner will be selected in a blind judging based on financial need as well as a talent for world building. Uh, And so I just think, I because, you know, the thing about writer's residencies is that they do offer a really great opportunity for a writer to hone their craft and to get to you know find a mentor and work on a manuscript but like who can take six weeks out of their life Mm -hmm. and just disappear and go do one of these things like I that's a really difficult undertaking for a lot of people who have a day job and have to pay rent and you know what do you do for those six weeks when you're just not going to be making any income and spending money on being at a six-week intensive that's no small undertaking. So it's really lovely to see a scholarship like this come through. Yeah, I agree. I was really, I thought it was an amazing thing that he was doing. I also, one of my first thoughts, and I think this was also talked about on like the Book Riot Back channels, um, that it is very difficult. Like it's not like anybody who's in any sort of situation could do this even if they're getting this money. Like, even me, I was like, ooh, maybe I should try and apply for it. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> like, yeah. there's it's, it's very difficult. Like, it's an amazing program. I've heard a lot about it. Um, and it's a way to really launch your career. So whoever gets this is going to be in a really good place. But yeah, I wonder, I'm curious about who the people are who are going to apply and actually be able to follow through with this. And I still think I I still have a lot of positive feelings about it, even though I just, I think my questions about it are just general questions about this sort of a workshop. It's not specific um, to this program, but it's all of these workshops where you're sort of expected to take time off of your life and mm-hmm. not do any work and say peace out to your employers or your children right. or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, like goodbye significant other. I'll see you in a month and a half. Like what? I know. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Um, what would I do with my cats for six weeks? Are you allowed to bring cats to writers workshops? Like really, what happens? I don't know. These are important questions. They are. They are. <laughs> Um, do we have time for another or is it, we should probably. Yeah, let's, let's move along. Let's move it along. I'm going to tell you guys about our second sponsor before we dive into our very long book recommendations. Mm. And it is your one and only by Adrian Finley. 
Uh, it is about a young man named Jack who is a walking fossil. He's the only human in a veritable sea of clones because it has been hundreds of years uh, since humanity died off in a plague. And the clones have sort of carried on uh, human existence and they've perfected their genes and moved farther and farther away from their basic humanity roots. But if they are really perfect, then why did they create Jack? In the meantime, one of the clones, Althea 310, is struggling with a feeling that she is different from her sisters, and she becomes fascinated with Jack. And so their connection starts to grow, but subsequently so does a threat to their lives. What will happen if they do the unthinkable and fall in love? So this is a clone story, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, and it explores the importance of individuality, the power of love. So if you are a fan of things like Never Let Me Go or Orphan Black, both of which I am, this is a story about discovering what sets you apart and then fighting to protect it. So I there's it's dystopian, it's fantasy, there's realism in terms of the you know everydayness of it, and I really am so curious about this. I do love a good clone story. I love a clone story. <laughs> it's always interesting to see because everybody does their own spin, right? On what clones are and what they mean and yeah. what they're for. So I'm always curious to see a new story come out in that genre. So again, that's Your One and Only by Adrian Finley. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Clone stories scare me because it seems like a very real possibility. So <laughs> <there's> that. <laughs> I mean, science moves quick, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that's when we were in our teens is now possible that we thought was science fiction. Oh so. my gosh. <laughs> don't think about it too hard. We Just are. Don't think about it. <laughs> and we're moving on anyway. And our theme is not clones this time. Nope. Not yet. <laughs> we are talking about books that are very long and very good. And I guess I will kick it off. With my fantasy pick, which is a YA fantasy, uh, this is Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, and it was so funny because I have a, a galley of this book, and it's like 600 pages, and then you go to Goodreads, and it says it's 488 pages, and then you go to Amazon, <laughs> and it says like 588 pages. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, this counts, because it's got to be somewhere in the 500 realm. Uh, but this was actually one of my first reads of the year, and it's out just next month, March 6th to be exact, so you don't have that long to wait for it. It's 544 pages in my estimation of pure <laughs> imagination. <laughs> um, Adiyemi is a Nigerian-American writer, and this is her debut novel, which is incredible. She is definitely off to a strong start, and Children of Blood and Bone is the first book in the Legacy of Orisha series. Um, I do not know how many books there will be. I don't think it's been announced yet. But I do know that you will want to get your hot little hands on the next book after you put this down. I had one of those screaming moments. It's not It's not totally inconclusive, so I don't want to make any, anybody uh, steer clear of this book. It's really great. Um, and the story is set in, I believe, a Nigeria-inspired world. But it's a world where you can ride creatures like they're called lionaires and leponaires that I picture as sort of varying giant saber-toothed tigers. Um, so it absolutely fed my World of Warcraft brain. And in this place, in Orisha, a set of people called the Magi once held power or had the power to wield magic. 
And Zelly, who's the main character, her mother was one such person. But after a violent clash between the Magi and the Orisha, uh, the Orisha royalty, the Magi become oppressed and their magic is taken away. Their people are enslaved and Zelia's mother is killed. So this happens on the first page and it's in the synopsis. So it's not a spoiler. It's like the entire motivation. Um, and the story follows Zelia as she journeys to bring magic back to Orisha. And it's told from three different perspectives. So you've got Zelia, who's really headstrong. She's a very quick to anger young woman uh, who maybe has the most to lose if she fails. And there's Amaris who risks a life of privilege after she witnesses a terrible act by her father's hands. And then there's Inan, who's Amaris's brother, who's this young man coming up in the world. And he's one who would do anything for their father. And Zeli's brother, Zane, is also along for the journey. We don't get his uh, perspective, though. And it's just a great group of characters to love and hate and love to hate. And they each have their own motivations. They're all unlike each other, which made their social dynamics really enjoyable. And Zelly did make me beat my head against the wall a few times because she's sort of a person who does not pause to reflect before acting a lot of the time. Uh, she's really impulsive, but I liked her for the very same reason. And a lot happens to her in the story and her behavior makes sense. And also people are just like that sometimes and their flaws don't really negate their ability to be heroic, of course. So her will is strong. And I like that we also get Amaris, who's very shy and very reserved, but she also exhibits her own strengths and heroism. So you get two very different people who are both very heroic and who you grow to really love and root for. Um, and a lot of the magic and lore in this book is inspired by Yoruba mythology, which is something I have a particular fondness for. And everything from the magic to the various settings is all really well thought out and really well imagined. This is a book I would put on that great world building list we were talking about before. Um, you do a lot of traveling in the book and I felt like I could see the sights and I could hear the noises and the markets and smell the jungle smells. And even though this book is really long, it moved along very quickly. And you all know by now, presumably, that I am a slow reader, but... I did my version of powering through it and finished it in what I felt was record time because I could not put it down. Um, the story just is really well paced and the reading is easy enough in that I didn't get stuck in any dense spots or sand traps in the book. So I didn't often lose steam except when it was like 2 a.m. and I really needed to put the book down and get some sleep because I had work the next day, which is a thing that happened a little too often while I was reading it. Um, and this book already has a movie deal and I'm super happy for Adiyemi. She deserves it. This book deserves it. I'm also crossing my fingers. It gets a really healthy budget and a good director. Um, I think the people who are involved with Twilight, the Twilight movies are involved with this movie. I can't remember if they're producers or directors, but I feel like they're probably going to be able to afford, I'm hoping they'll be able to afford to make the visuals as lush and intricate as they are in the book and that they make some good decisions about how it's adapted because... It was so good. I don't want any harm to come to the story. Um, but this is the beginning of a really, what I feel is a very bold, beautiful, epic YA fantasy series. I'm really looking forward to the next book. And again, that was Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. 
So I picked what might seem like an obvious choice, but I was doing a little research for the show and I was asking in the Insiders Forum for a tally of who had read it, thinking that it would be like everybody would have read it. But Mm. in fact, only one out of the 20 people who responded to that question had already read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna <laughs> Clark. So I was like, all right, I do get to pick this. I'm going to talk about it. Have you read it? <laughs> I you haven't. I started it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, right. it, okay. it was, too, it was too much for me. It was too much too book. Much. <laughs> All right, so this book is a thousand pages and it has footnotes. Like this is, it is very long and it is almost scholarly. And this is where my nerd roots really show because I was a history major in college and I was like, this book was written for me. Like it's, it feels so real. It feels like the author is actually like documenting real people and real mythology that I was completely convinced that there was this whole tradition of the Raven King in English folklore that I just somehow had missed. And despite like having read what I thought was a pretty wide selection of English folklore. So I went diving into, you know, my library searches and couldn't find anything. And I was like, Oh my God, she made it up. Like what? (laughs) Um, So I, I really love this book. That being said, it is perhaps a very specific flavor. So let me tell you a little bit more about it. It takes place in the 1800s. And it follows two magicians whose names are, surprise, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And Mr. Norrell is like a very dry, crusty dude who is also very insecure and jealous and he can do magic and doesn't want anybody else to be able to do it so he does things like buy up all of the magical texts and keep them away from anybody else who might read them he uh, encourages people to think of magic as not something that should be actually done but only theoretically studied which is the norm in this version of historical England lots of people study magic but nobody can actually perform it except for Mr. Norrell and then Jonathan Strange happens along he's like you know a member of the aristocracy he's a dilettante he doesn't have a job and somebody's teasing him at some point about how aimless he is and he's like I'll become a magician haha and then it turns out he can actually do magic which of course drives Mr. Norrell absolutely insane so Strange goes to be mentored slash taught by Norrell and this is because this is based in our actual historical record. Uh, Napoleon is, mm-hmm. is a factor. Um, this is during the Napoleonic Wars. And so, for example, Wellington is like, hey, great, send me a magician and we will use magic on the French. Uh, so, you know, Jonathan Strange goes off to war. Um, and in uh, the book is partially about how English magic got to this point, um, how there where there are all these stories of magicians who could do all kinds of things, and there were lots more of them. So how did it get to the point where there are only two actual magicians in the whole of England? And it is about this figure called the Raven King, uh, and it's about the misuse of magic, it's about love, it's about family, it's about hubris. It's I just thought it was so fascinating and so compelling but I like I also like Dickens and you know I read The Count of Monte Cristo multiple times so my tastes are definitely 
open to long-winded, meandering historical novels. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the fantasy version of that. Uh, So... I don't know if I've actually pitched this effectively. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if the thought of footnotes makes you tired, I can't really argue with you except for that to say that this kind of really sort of historically inspired, detailed, scholarly world building is my jam. (laughs) And it might be yours, too. You should give it a try. If footnotes make you tired, but the plot sounds interesting, there is a very beautifully done TV show of the book, also called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Uh, I believe there's only one season. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it won it won a bunch of awards, actually. And the actors are all really good. I was very impressed. I initially had reservations about the casting, but when I started watching it, I was like, nope, this is great. Like, well done, everybody around. Uh, and yeah, I just, I, I, if, you, if you like the sound of the story, but don't want to read a thousand pages with the <laughs> notes, then maybe, you know, pick up the show. I think it's on Netflix or Hulu. I can't remember which now. But, uh, but yeah, it's out there in the world for you to watch. And, and maybe after watching it, you'll want to try the book. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Read it. <laughs> it's so good, though. I don't know. It's such a particular flavor, maybe. It is one of those books that I am to this day a little regretful that I did not finish um, because I I really was enjoying it. I just got really frantic about all the other books I wasn't mm-hmm. reading because it was mm-hmm. taking me so long. No, that's real. That feeling of just like I have – I am 200 pages into this. There are 800 <laughs> more and look at that TBR pile. Like it's falling over. How oh, can I commit to this? So yeah. hard. But the miniseries was good. I love the miniseries. So I agree with you there. Um, <laughs> actually, my next pick, like I'm talking about reading, you know, being upset about reading an 800 page book. This is one <laughs> of those books. <laughs> my science fiction pick is Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson. And Seven Eves is one of those, this could actually happen maybe I should build myself a bunker sort of books <laughs> like when I read this I was all sorts of paranoid um but it's also the book I would mention if you wanted me to describe the word sprawling this is a very very long book so you have to sort of buckle up and be ready um and I listened to the audiobook version and it was over 31 hours long oh my <laughs> god no, just oh, no. Goodness. What? So what am I talking about with Jonathan Strange? <laughs> well, whatever. But so <laughs> the basic storyline is that the moon is disintegrating and it's it, it's taking down Earth. And um, so it's taking down Earth, but at least for a few thousand years while its fallout wreaks havoc on the biosphere. And mankind is scrambling to get a few of its representatives off the planet to preserve the species. And the beginning of the story follows some politicians, including the president and one of the, um, and then not a politician, but one of the foremost scientists, a sort of celebrity scientist by the name of Doc Dubois-Harris. So he's a celebrity scientist of the time, and he's working with the politicians as they decide how to go about this process of choosing who represents the human race and figuring out the logistics of getting them off the planet. 
And as you can imagine, there are also, you know, the goodbyes and all of the other horrible things you might have to do if you knew the world as you know it was ending. And you were either leaving to represent humans, and I mean like leaving everyone you know and love behind, or staying, and knowing things were going to go completely pear-shaped, and you and the people you knew and loved were probably going to die. So... The book is separated into three parts, and as I said, it's a total of 880 pages, to be exact. And even though there's a lot of story, I realized it'd be really hard to get too into the story without spoiling some really big twists um, because of the way events develop, especially as they're trying to get things moving and get people off the planet. Um, but for instance, like I was on tenderhooks waiting to find out who made it on the ship because I got the sense that this wouldn't be the sort of book that would be afraid to kill a few fan favorites because you do start to already build relationships and feelings for some of the characters right away. Um, but I will say there are some great characters and particularly among the main team on board who I will not detail. Um, but these are the people who develop and steer this new civilization called the Cloud Arc, which is composed of numerous arclets, which are like little ships um, that are inhabited by the chosen few. Oh, not ships, I guess they're pods. Oh my goodness, I'm already getting into technicalities. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a great diversity of characters as well, and a global one, of course, because this is like they're trying to represent the world globally and all the types of people, which is like sort of an impossible task. And I became very attached to a few of the characters, which is a very dangerous thing to do when you've got a long haul ahead as far as the storytelling goes, and when your characters are on what appears to be an impossible mission. Um, and this sounds all very bleak, but the intricacies and politics of this scenario and how Neil Stevenson approaches them and considers how we might actually respond and what an interstellar society might look like, like how this social dynamics might play out, it's all very fascinating, to me at least. And you do feel some of the same dread you might have experienced if you, say, saw that movie Melancholia and had insomnia for days like I did. But... <laughs> I mean, I think I have just a fear of things blowing up in space and ruining my life. But <laughs> you you really want to keep moving forward to find out what happens and how it all shakes out. And the good news is this is a standalone novel, so you're not going to get through this giant tome only to realize you aren't getting the full story. And I know Neil Stevenson is really thorough, uh, with research and with his storytelling, but he takes the story way farther than I expected. So when I say this book is sprawling, I mean it is sprawling. This is not the sort of book where everything happens over a matter of years. Um, and the, uh, so we talked about, I think, before Battlestar Galactica, and this book definitely gave me that vibe because I'm always looking for something to fill in sort of the, ba the Battlestar Galactica hole. This book gave me that vibe, especially with the politics and the complicated relationships and the intrigues. And also this book was on Obama's summer reading list in 2016. Nice. And I really want to know if he finished it and what he thought specifically because some of the because of some of the political aspects. Um. <laughs> Call us, Obama. <laughs> Drop us an email, sir. Yeah, we're important enough, right? Come on. Totally. Absolutely. We'll interview you. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, but I should note that this is definitely hard sci-fi. Neil Stevenson loves his minutia, so there's a healthy serving of technical detail. I don't especially enjoy that level of technical banter all the time. But, you know, I, I had that same sort of experience with Snow Crash and some of the research um, also by Stevenson, by the way. And yet that book still remains a favorite of mine. The characters and that, oh man, what's going to happen next feeling really got me through those bits. So if an epic Earth and human race in peril, Battlestar Galactica-ish intricate read is up your alley, you should definitely check out Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson. So you confess to not finishing Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I have a more embarrassing confession. I don't think I've finished a single Neil Stevenson book, and I've started at least four. Oh, wow. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever finished one. That's embarrassing, but it's true. That's not embarrassing. Everybody has their personal... I I can absolutely see why somebody would have to put it down. I keep trying to... You know, maybe it's just that I'm not... I haven't found the one that's for me. Maybe Seven Eves would break my streak. I don't know. But I know I have not finished Snow Crash or Anathem or Quicksilver or The Rise and Fall of Dodo. I didn't finish any of them. But I keep trying because he's such a linchpin of the genre. And I keep thinking maybe this will be the one. But um, I mean, this one does have a different feel than Snow Crash. So I feel like maybe you would. I, I would give it a try. I mean, you sold it very well. Like, everything you described is something I'm interested in. Okay. So I definitely maybe one day will try <laughs> to read That's that. good enough for me. I'll take that. <laughs> oh, dear. So my science fiction pick is Dahlgren by Samuel R. Delaney. And I'm actually reading it right now. I usually try not to talk about books that I haven't finished yet. But this one is a book I have been meaning to read for forever. And when we decided to pick this theme... I was like, here's my chance. I'm going to I'm gonna finally pick up Dahlgren. I thought I would be farther along, but then the Olympics happened, and <laughs> I lost just hours of my reading time to that because I am a huge Olympics fan. So apologies for not having been finished yet. But if you are not familiar, Dahlgren is actually one of the best-selling science fiction novels of all time, which is really hard to believe when you consider that this is a book that is, I want to, the writing style is experimental. I, I'm going to say it. Um, the POV switches back and forth a little bit randomly between first and third person. There are these interludes where you, it takes a minute for you to figure out who is speaking. And it's not always clear. In the opening 50 pages, the main character, who doesn't know who he is, sleeps with a woman who then turns into a tree. Like, what uh. is going on? It's very, it's a very strange book. The basic plot is that this takes place in the United States and the city of Bologna is solidly in the Midwest. And something has happened. Um, The population has sort of fled. There are just like squatters and, you know, criminals and whoever like infesting the streets and everything is a bit lawless. Sometimes there's electricity. Sometimes there's not. Uh, Sometimes there's multiple moons in the sky. Sometimes there's not. Um, And the main character who does not remember who he is or he rather he doesn't remember his name. He remembers like where he came from and his parents and things about himself but he doesn't kind of know who he is currently Um, and he enters the city and 
it's it's him sort of wandering around having interactions with all of these different inhabitants of the city. And it is a very raw and violent book. Um, and, and, you know, Delaney is tackling questions of racism and gender and sexuality. And, and he's not doing it in a pretty way. Like, it is rough. It's rough. And I... The reason I've been wanting to read this book for forever is because it does have such a reputation and Delaney himself is such an interesting figure in science fiction. Um, He's, you know, one of the few prominent black authors of his generation. There are obviously many more now, but when, you know, he was writing, there really weren't that many prominent black sci-fi authors. Um, And he's just, yeah, like he, he's sort of a legend at this point in sci-fi. And this is, this is the book that, you know, everybody talks about. And, and I, I do occasionally love uh, an experimental, like, long book reading challenge. Um, my copy of this is 801 pages long. Ooh. And and I, I, I do, like, for example, I've read Infinite Jest, and I'm really glad that I did. Um, and so I don't mind doing some work, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I don't mind doing some work if I'm going to come out the other end happier to have done it. And I already feel like this book is that experience. I I do also love the feeling of my brain being stretched, if that's a, a thing that you've experienced, like a book that takes your brain and sort of bends it out of its normal pathways. And when you finish, you're like, huh, <laughs> I, th- I just feel like my brain is different now. I do also love that feeling, and I'm already having it. So, so this is sort of my big reading project for this winter, uh, and um, and I'm glad to be on it. Although, again, not like the most comfortable ride ever. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable in some parts, but sometimes that's good. So, yeah, that is my that is my in process notes about Dahlgren by Samuel R. Delaney. I feel like I have to read those. It's one of those, like, maybe it's a a classic, a must-read classic that I haven't even heard of, which is sad. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, he's written other things that are shorter, (laughs) so so I kind of was biting off a lot uh, to chew on when I picked this one up. Um, I remember Nisi Shawl recommending Babel 17 Mm. uh, as as her preferred intro to Delaney. It's only like 200 pages long, Um, so much more sort of manageable. But, you know, I have this tendency to like dive in. <laughs> and be like, nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the biggest, meatiest, hardest one you've got. Like, give that one to me. <laughs> you can't fight your nature, Jen. No, it's Don't just try. who I am. It's just it who is. I am. So that's my story about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's it for our show. Um, so thank you so much for listening. You can of course always email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com and please do review us on apple podcasts it helps people find us we love to hear your feedback and you can also find us online i am at on instagram i'm at s zainab williams that's s-z-a-i-n-a-b williams and how about you jen i am on tumblr these days it's jenirl.tumblr.com and that is jen with two n's and that's it for us until next time (laughs) 